You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled The Unexpected. Hello my radio friends. I'm so glad you've joined me today. Welcome to the program. Most people go through life with certain expectations. Children expect to become adults. Most young people expect to meet someone and get married, have children, get a job, a home, a car and so on. People of middle age expect to retire someday and then later to expire. Even as I'm speaking to you, you have certain expectations. They're the things you plan for. But, as you may well know, the unexpected happens. We mostly do not plan for the unexpected, although may, in some ways, realise that the unexpected will occur. I once had a friend, Mal, who had a private pilot's licence. He did not own an aeroplane, but whenever he needed one, he would hire it. Mel was a heating and cooling technician, and at the time when wood fires were being considered a pollution hazard, he spent some time in the country areas converting Arga stoves to operate on liquid fuel instead of firewood. Mel had spent a week on York Peninsula doing fuel conversions and came back to Adelaide where he lived for the weekend. But he had decided to fly across to York Peninsula on Sunday morning to check if the already installed conversions were working properly. To offset the expense of hiring a plane, Mel invited some others to go with him for the trip. There were three of us. Mel was mixing business with pleasure. It was quite special flying at 4,000 feet in the Cessna 172 above the blue waters of the Gulf of St Vincent and to eventually land in a cow paddock on one of the farms near the town of Minlerton. There Mal checked the stove. It was operating normally. So we all chatted with the family and ate our lunch together. Apart from us, there was a visitor at the farm that Sunday. The visitor was the brother of the farmer's wife. He was a news reporter for the major South Australian newspaper, The Advertiser. With lunch eaten and goodbyes said, we climbed back into the plane ready to fly to the next farm to check their installation. It was a clear, calm winter's day. As we roared full throttle down the paddock, Mal reached a point where he had to abort the takeoff. He had to try again. No worries. The second time he taxied the plane to the extreme end of the paddock, and we roared along expecting to lift off and zoom up into the sky. But the plane did not rise into the air as soon as expected and we reached the point of no return, still travelling at full power. 
looming up at us was an old decrepit fence, then a line of mallee trees. Desperately, Mal pulled back on the joystick and the plane began to rise, just clipping the top of the fence, then catching the top of the trees. It was damaged and could not be properly controlled and it looked as if we were going to loop and crash upside down. Mal had just enough control to pull the nose of the plane down. There was not much else he could do and as we headed for the earth there was a brief moment when I thought this would be my last conscious moment. What I am describing happened in a few brief seconds. I'd always thought that should I be in a situation where I might die, that I would pray and confess any unforgiven sins and recommit my life to God. But moments away from the inevitable crash, all that came to my mind was not a prayer, but it was, oh, hell. We crashed in a flat area littered with rocks about the size of truck wheels heading straight for a haystack. Miraculously, the rocks ripped off the nose wheel and the left wheel and the plane skidded along in its belly and the right side wheel causing it to slew around, stopping a few metres in front of the haystack. I hate to think of what would have happened if we had ploughed headlong into the haystack. Apart from minor scratches, none of us four occupants were injured. That afternoon, instead of smoothly gliding above the shimmering silvery sea below, we went back to Adelaide, shaken but not injured, by bus. And this is a true story about an unexpected event in my life and I'm thankful to God that he spared me to tell this story. The Bible records many events that were unexpected, and if there's any advice to be had, it would be expect the unexpected. Unexpected events may have major impacts on our lives and may shape our futures in ways we had not planned for. Accidents, injuries, disease, stock market crashes, drought, unplanned pregnancies and new people are some of the unexpected things that may affect us. Not all things unexpected are bad. Some are wonderful. The Bible has many stories and examples of how people experienced that which was unexpected. Take, for example, Jonah in his effort to run away from the Lord. The tremendous storm that lasted for several days was extremely severe, and the ship's crew realised that it wasn't a normal storm. So they looked for a cause. Eventually Jonah was identified and requested that they throw him overboard as he had disobeyed God. I suspect that as Jonah sank beneath the waves, he probably thought, 
This is it. I've disobeyed, and now I'm being punished. Then, as if from nowhere, a large fish swallowed him. There in the belly of the fish, Jonah was surprised to even being alive. The unexpected had happened. Jonah survived and carried out his mission to warn the Ninevites of impending doom, unless they repented of their sins. The mission was successful, and the people of Nineveh were saved from destruction. The Persian king, the Babylonian king, I should say, Nebuchadnezzar, a ruler with absolute power, had an unexpected rebuff when he erected a huge golden statue to celebrate his reign and power. He required all the important people in his kingdom to assemble on the plain of Jura, where the image was set up and then, on a given herald performed by various instruments, to bow down and worship the image on pain of death if anyone refused to do so. On the signal, the instrument sounded and everyone, thousands of them, bowed down. That is, all except three. Those three were Hebrews who refused to give obeisance to anyone or anything but God. Infuriated, the king summoned them to come to him, and although he had threatened death for anyone who disobeyed, he asked the three why they had refused to bow down. To the king's surprise, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered the king, Your Majesty, we don't want to stand here and defend ourselves, but we will say that we've already thought this whole thing through and have made our decision it is true that we didn't bow in worship before the golden statue that you've set up. But if that's considered being disloyal to Babylon, what can we say? Our God, whom we serve, is able to save us if he chooses to do so. But if not, your majesty can be sure that we will not worship the Babylonian gods, nor bow in worship before the golden statue. Yikes! The king was amazed and immediately ordered the three young men to be bound and thrown into the furnace, which had become heated so hot that the heat killed the burly soldiers who had to throw the men into the furnace. Intently watching, the king met another surprise. Instead of burning to a crisp, the men stood up and walked about in the furnace. And there were not just three who were thrown in, but four. This was unexpected. The king called the men out, and there they stood before him, totally unharmed. Their God, the God of heaven, had saved them from the king's wrath. Amazed and humbled, the king made a public announcement. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, 
who sent someone to rescue his servants because they put their trust in him. They were so loyal to him that they disobeyed my orders and risked their lives rather than bowing in worship before any god except their own. Then another unexpected thing happened. The king announced that anyone in the kingdom who said anything disrespectful about God would be severely punished in a different way, but just as effective as the punishment to be meted out to those who refused to worship his golden image. And to top that off, he promoted each of the young men to important positions in his kingdom. And you can read this amazing true story in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Those who are true to their principles are good members of society. They can be trusted. I'm going to share with you something about the Apostle Paul straight after the break. Apostle Paul had an unexpected experience on his way to Damascus. Here, while zealously carrying out what he thought was the will of God by arresting and killing Christians, was suddenly surrounded by a bright light, and a powerful unseen voice spoke to him, 
Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He replied, Who are you, Lord? The voice answered, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. Amazingly, Saul, as he was then called, immediately was converted and went from being an enemy of the Christians to being a Christian himself. In the space of a few moments, he switched allegiances and, as history records, became a champion for the Lord, risking his own life to save the lives of others. Paul completely committed himself to the cause of God that in the end according to tradition and in the end according to tradition he was beheaded so far i've shared with you about unexpected experiences involving individuals or small groups of people but the bible records unexpected events involving large groups as well the first one is recorded in Genesis chapter 6, 7 and 8. Chapter 6 verse 5 records, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, every creeping thing and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah was a righteous man, and the Lord saw fit to retain the species through him. God instructed Noah to build a large boat, an ark capable of floating safely in turbulent waters. God told Noah that he was going to send a great worldwide flood that would wipe out all life on the earth. As well as building the ark, Noah preached about the impending catastrophe. But the people did not believe him. They laughed and jeered at him and pronounced him mad. The building of the ark took 120 years. When all was finished, God caused the animals, birds and everything else to come aboard. Following that, the door was shut. Noah, his wife and his three sons and their wives waited. Each day the heckling mob came and derided, laughed, cheered and taunted Noah. But after the seventh day it began to rain and rain and rain and rain. The heckling mob was absent and silent. The rain continued and the ark began to float. Now the people were screaming out to be let in. As the waters rose higher, the people sought higher ground and fled to the hills and the mountains. Unrelentingly, the rain continued.
and the water kept rising higher and higher. Soon the hills and mountains were covered. It was too late to make boats. Man and animals perished in the flood. Too late, too late, too late. They had their chance, but did not take what God had told Noah seriously. Apart from Noah and his family, humanity was wiped out. God had cleansed the world with water. Sin and sinners were washed away. You know, there are many who try to explain away the great flood, but they overlook the statements made by Jesus who believed and taught that the flood was an actual event. Yet, the greatest unexpected event is still to come. You see, before Jesus left this earth, he made a promise to come again. In John 14:3, this is what he said. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But when will he come? Various groups have tried to set dates, but that's a mistake. In speaking further about his coming, this is what Jesus said. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. As far as I'm concerned, the issue is not if Jesus will come, but when he will come. The majority of people on earth today don't believe in Jesus. Won't they be surprised when he comes again? Many people who claim to be Christians have some perverted beliefs about the coming of Jesus. Won't they be surprised? There are also Christians who believe in Jesus and his coming, but expect his coming will be way, way into the future. Won't they be surprised too? The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1, and th 1 to 3 had this advice and warning. He said, But concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labour pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Well, let's go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 24 and verses 37 to 39. Jesus gave an example of what happened in the past when the world was overcome by a worldwide flood. And these are Jesus' words. But as the days of Noah were, so will also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, 
They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Two things will happen when Jesus comes. Firstly, Jesus will take home with him to heaven those who've been faithful to him. Secondly, all those who remain will be destroyed by the brightness of his coming. Like at the flood, those who do not honour God will lose their lives. The unexpected will happen, but how can it how can you not be caught off guard? Well, Jesus gave the answer to that too in Matthew 24, verse 42. He said, Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. To watch means to be ready. We need to continue in a close relationship with our Lord. We need to abide in him. We need to obey his commands and we need to read and understand his word, the Bible. There'll be no second chances. God has given enough information to know what we should do here and now. And I hope you will make sure your life is in order and that you will be ready for Jesus' second coming, and that it doesn't catch you unexpected. And all that being said, we must stop. And I wish you, dear listeners, peace and, and joy and the hope of meeting your Lord soon. <laughs> 